You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ogi Ogui, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. want to talk about Jesus Christ and um, this teaching series is important because it's one of those series that helps to establish your faith as a Christian. You see, as a believer, you've got to know why you believe what you believe. You are not a Christian because you were born into a Christian home. I hope you know. Yes. Thank God you were born into a Christian home. Um, and he was a huge contributor to your Christian experience. And we are grateful for that. But at the same time, you're not just a Christian because your parents are Christians. You're a Christian because you believe in Christ. You believe in what he did. And you believe what you believe the gospel. Do you understand that? But by way of introduction, I want to take us through a teaching that I've done before. But I need to repeat before I start this series. First John chapter 4 verse 1. First John chapter 4 verse 1. First John chapter number 4 verse number 1. Are you there? Are you there? Everybody read first John 4 1. 1, 2, go. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. He says, beloved. Which means he's making an impassioned plea. He's talking to someone he loves. And he's pleading with somebody he loves. Beloved. He says, do not believe every spirit. But test every spirit. Listen to me you would be naive to think that everyone who stands in front of a crowd like this every Sunday morning is standing in the name of Jesus. You'd be naive to think so. Listen, a lot of people believe that, um, you know, a lot of Christians are gullible. So, um, somebody walks up to you and he tells you a little detail about your life. And the man, even if even the things that are obvious, the man walks up to you as a lady. He says, I'm looking at you every month. You used to have blood flow. Is it true? Say yes. Say he used to pain you. Say yes. Say prophesy, man of God. Don't be that gullible. He says, Don't believe every spirit, but test. He says you should test. Every Christian must be discerning. Listen to me. Not every teaching you hear is correct. And some people think it's this way. That so, I'm teaching my opinion. He's teaching his own opinion. And in some way, we are both correct. Even if we contradict ourselves. But that doesn't make any sense. If I walked up to Pastor Tomo and said, What is this thing I'm holding? And he says, It's a microphone. And I say, No, it's a microwave oven. Would you say, well, both of you are correct? (laughs) Because there's mic in both (laughs) names. No. 
to the rules of logic, two answers about a particular thing that contradict themselves cannot be correct. Is either one of them is wrong or both of them are wrong? Is that true? So not everything you hear on a Sunday morning in a church is correct. You must be discerning enough. And listen. It is true that there's such a thing as the spirit of discernment. Discernment is a gift of the spirit. Is that true? We talked about that, right? But in 1 John 4, the writer John introduces another thing that we did not notice before. So go back to 1 John chapter 4. You know, there's a story that comes to mind every time I'm talking about discernment. Before we read 1 John 4 too. Acts chapter 16 verse 16. Acts 16 16. Acts chapter number 16. You know the book of Acts somewhere between Exodus and Malachi. <laughs> Acts 16 16. Are you there? So look at this story. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Listen, let me explain what's happening here. Paul and Silas have undergone heavy persecution because they claimed that they were proclaiming salvation. Do you understand? So, this girl could not have picked a better time to endorse their ministry publicly. I mean, this endorsement would have done wonders for their ministry. Imagine the top atheist in Nigeria just calling you and he says, this man is a true man of God. Ah! Your ministry has blown. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, there's this girl who is a diviner. What she does for a living is people will come and meet her, a man of God, prophesy over my life. They will, she will prophesy, tell them things about their lives, and give, and they will pay her. So everybody knows her as the person who is always accurate in these things. And this young woman stands up one day and she says, well, these two, these two guys now, they're actually men of the true living God. Talk about the gospel being preached. And they proclaim to you the way of salvation. Oh, see, as she finished, all they needed to do was say, now you have heard that, gather, let us talk. Do you understand? And she kept following. Now, she didn't do it just once. The Bible says she followed them about. Look at this. She said she followed them about and she kept doing this for many days. Ah. Many days. Morning till night. These men are the true men of God. They proclaim to you the way of salvation. Morning. Uh -uh. See business. I'll carry her into the home and say, enter first. Say it first. Let them hear. So that when I come, my, my work will be easy. But the Bible says that at a point, Paul became angry. He turned and he commanded her spirit to go. What she was saying, theologically, was it correct? Was she right? But Paul was discerning enough to know that this woman is not speaking by the Spirit of God. Do you understand? Paul was discerning enough to know this lady wasn't speaking by the Spirit of God. And it doesn't even take too much to discern it. Somebody who does such a thing for a living 
That is, I give you prophecy to get money from you. I'm not doing it by the Spirit of God. Do you understand? So it wasn't too difficult to even discern that. But not only did Paul discern it by the Spirit, John tells us that there's another way you can discern. When I was teaching you on discernment, I taught you that discernment is both a spiritual gift and a training. Is that true? First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. Look at this. From verse 1 again. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Listen, if what you think about the Antichrist is one man that is going to rise up one day and directly oppose everything that Christ died for, you are wrong. If you think that the Antichrist is somebody that is coming in the future, you are wrong. John, writing this about 1,000 something years ago, said the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. And what is he doing? He's opposing the truth that Christ came in the flesh and died. Hey, listen to what I'm saying. He tells you that you are able to discern by reading your Bible, being theological about it. I can tell what a man or from what spirit a man is speaking when I hear what his doctrine is and how consistent he is with scripture. Do you get what I am saying? A lot of us descend by the flesh and by emotions. The man is wearing a large white garment. I'm not talking about white garment church. <laughs> but he's wearing a white like suit. You know, ah, it must be the Holy Ghost. If the man moves in very short, humble, in a very humble manner, is the Holy Ghost. Now, can't you see the way he's humble? He must be of God. Eh. Some people descend by money that is working for him now. He has plenty of money. What he's saying must be true. You've forgotten that the devil also gives money. Some people descend. You know, there was a man of God in this country who for the longest period of time, a lot of people fought his ministry because he relaxed his hair. Think about that. He relaxed his hair. And then, so, what? Many people, let me tell you something, you are laughing, but you know there are many preachers that you have written of that you have never listened to before. Am I saying the truth? Or should I call names? There are many preachers that you have written of completely. This man is cancelled, but you have never listened to one message from him before. Maybe something you saw that he did that you didn't like. I hope you know if Jesus was in our time, we would hate him. A blind man. You know, a lot of people complain about preachers who um, a woman comes, she's this, and then he hits the woman. I'm not, I'm not advocating that you should be hitting people in the name of deliverance. So is I think it's barbaric. I think you shouldn't. There are other ways to do it. All right. But imagine that there was a blind man that came before Jesus Christ. Jesus looked at him. You are blind. Okay. The normal way is to lay hands. But I feel like spitting on you. So he picked mud from the floor. Spat in it. Made clay out of it. Rubbed it on his face. Then after spitting and rubbing, he now said, go and wash yourself inside the pool. 
He will make headlines. Local pastor spits on a man's face. Is it true? And then you immediately cancel him. He's not of God. You better learn how to be discerning. Don't be ruled by your senses. Listen, it is true that there are sometimes you will just meet a man of God. You will see, you watch a, 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 a recording or something, or you go for a program, and immediately your spirit within you begins to oppose. Like, mm, let me just stay away for a while. Do you understand? Even if he's saying everything right, let me just be careful. And that's true. At times like that, don't ignore it. Be careful. Give yourself some distance. But at the same time, don't just walk into a program. The man is speaking beautiful English. And you're like, ah, this man is anointed. He did like this. Everybody fell. That's it. It's the anointing of God. There are many men of God, quote and unquote, they have beautiful stages, hold beautiful microphone. But when they go home, there's a shrine in the house. See, you'll be naive if you say it's a lie. <laughs> There are people who work miracles not by God. Do you get what I'm saying? It started in Exodus and it will not end after you. Moses came. He dropped his um, rod. It became a serpent. Janus and Jambres looked at him and said, uh -uh, is it that one? They dropped their own rods too. And it became serpents. Are you listening to what I'm saying? So the miraculous is not validation for ministry. Are you listening to what I'm saying? He's not all. Don't let people deceive you with miracles. Oh. Some people doctor the miracles. I'm, I hate to say this. Because we are a miracle believing church, right? I hate to say this. But it is true. Some people doctor the testimonies. Instances of people who were walking fine before the crusade started. Immediately the crusade started. They became lame from birth. The man of God prayed for them and they were healed again. I can walk now. I can walk. Listen, it is true. This does not mean you should now be skeptical. I always say it like this. If there is a fake, then there is the real, right? Good. So if you have to doctor the miracles, it means that the miracles can really be worked. So you will be discerning. You will be careful. And discernment is not just discerning truth from lie. Discernment is also discerning truth from half truth a lot of believers are satisfied with half truth it's nearly okay now there are some subjects that some people debate about that I'm like what's the point like just let it go because it's not really that consequential do you understand at what point um, does the human soul become um, go to heaven immediately after death or at the rapture uh -uh. Some people debate immediately after death. Some people at the rapture. And then in my mind, I'm like, should we? They will shout, but still go to heaven, right? Leave it like that. There's no point debating. Do you get what I'm saying? But there are some topics that you must not be quiet about. Salvation. The deity of Christ. The person of Jesus Christ. You can't be ignorant about these things. You must distinguish truth from half-truth. So somebody says, Jesus was the greatest prophet that ever lived. But he was not born of a virgin. Jesus was the greatest prophet that ever lived. 
But he was never resurrected from the dead. It sounds almost true. Your sentiments are appeased, greatest prophet. I like the sound of that. But you don't understand. If you negate his virgin birth, if you negate his resurrection, you have negated his deity. You have inadvertently said Jesus is not God. You must be discerning enough. You must be able to say this is what this is. And you do it by studying well. Do you get what I'm saying? So Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The writer of Hebrews says, the word, the word of God is a two-edged sword, and it is piercing through the bone marrows, is a divider of the thoughts and intents. So one way I can know the thoughts and intents of any preacher, of anybody, is the word of God. When I take the word of God, I can either use the word of God defensively or offensively. Do you know what I'm saying? I use it defensively when the devil throws attacks at me. What do I do? I defend myself with the word of God. Just like Jesus did at the temptation. Do you get? It is written, man shall not. But I can use it offensively. When I'm in situations, I'm listening to things, I take it as a sword and I rightly divide. This part of the Bible says this, so this is wrong and this is right. This part of the Bible says this, so this is right, this is wrong. Don't swallow everything hook, line, and sinker. This is why I have a problem with people who cannot sit down in one church. Ah, brother, so and so, why didn't you come to church last Sunday? Ah, in my first church, they were doing one special party like this. You know now. So I had to show, really? You are indisciplined, though. You are. Such a person can never be discerning enough. Every parent knows to correct the wrong things the teacher teaches his children after the teacher has taught them. Is that true? So every parent will guide what the teachers learn and what the children learn. Even in school, they will come to school and they'll tell the teacher, I don't want you talking about this. Let me be the one to teach my child. Because no child grows knowing the same thing from 10 different fathers. Are you listening to what I'm saying? So you will learn to be discerning. You sit down in one place. And I'm not by any means saying we are the only ones getting it right. And that would be very wrong. But at the same time, we are not many people getting it right. I'm telling you the truth. And I will be lying if I didn't say so. I'm not the only one getting it right. That would be pride and arrogance. I'm not the only preacher that knows the gospel. But is it true that they are... Listen, somebody tweeted something the other day. The person said, these days, preachers hardly ever open the Bible. They just come up, talk for 30 minutes and sit down. It is painful that that is true. It's painful that that... And even when they do open the Bible, they are not opening it to explain it. They are opening it to buttress their points. It's painful, but it is true. You will be careful about false teaching and false teachers. There's a difference between false teaching and false teachers. Not everybody who does false teaching is a false teacher, but every false teacher does false teaching. Who is a false teacher? A false teacher is an unbeliever who is trying to deceive Christians. Do you get? 
an unbeliever who is consistently trying to deceive Christians. He is a false teacher. But false teaching is half-truths and lies about the gospel. So, for example, the prosperity gospel is a false teaching. You know what the prosperity gospel is? Jesus Christ died for your wealth, health, and best life now. It's a lie from the pit of hell. The prosperity gospel has done more harm than good in this society. Am I saying the truth? A man said this and he hurt me deeply. He said, I was content till I came to church. Like I was content till I came to church. Because we all know the prosperity gospel. There is a devil for every level. So your tithes, give tithes so that things won't be tight. Your offering will end your suffering. <laughs> and all those beautiful rhymes. They are dangerous because a person who is suffering will start thinking, am I not giving enough? Am I saying the truth? Have you ever thought that way before? Did I do something wrong to God? And some people, the end, the end product of that is, is that they get to a point where they don't really care again. God, if you like, kill me, I'm not doing it again. Or some people outrightly say, I don't believe in God anymore. Because they told me that these are the principles I must apply to live a good life. But I'm not living a good life. So I don't believe in God. Listen. It is true that the prosperity gospel is a false teaching. But not everybody who teaches the prosperity gospel is a false teacher. Do you understand? And so you will be careful as a believer to be discerning. I'm saying all of this because the teaching series we are embarking on is a purely doctrinal one. It is doctrine. It is this is what the Bible says about this. And I want you to realize that you can't have a separate opinion from what the Bible has said about the thing. You find Christians who are believing, proclaiming Christians who say Jesus is not the only way to God. They've been deceived. Paul warns against seducing spirits. Now, when people hear seducing spirits... Most people would think seducing spirit is that lady who came to your office dressed in a particular way. She's got a seducing spirit. No. The right context of seducing spirit is wrong teaching. Trying to seduce you from what you already know and believe. When it comes to knowledge, I hope you know that knowledge is not an emotional thing. So you are not, your, your first reaction to knowledge should not be emotional. A lot of people react emotionally to the knowledge of God's word. And so the devil seduces them well. When you say Jesus is the only way to God, they will say, are you trying to say that all the people that don't believe in Jesus will die and go to hell? Well, yes. So what kind of God is that? A good God. What more do you want? He gave his son to die. So he should now save the ones that, that chose not to believe. But you want to be emotional. You want to say, oh no. No. I won't do it that way. You know, that's, that's actually what we think subconsciously. I won't be, I'm not that wicked. How can, how, can, how can God even think about sending all of them to hell? That even me, I know I'm, I'm not very good, but I know I won't do it. But you have done worse. So. You have done worse. 
you don't respond first, um, you don't respond emotionally as your first response to knowledge. You think it through. What is he saying? What is the implication of what he's saying? That somebody gave his son to die and said, if you believe in him, you have eternal life. You are wicked if you choose not to believe in him. You are wicked. Do you get what I'm saying? You are wicked. That's what the Bible calls unbelievers wicked. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Are you learning something this morning? First Peter 3:15, are you there? Alright. First Peter 3:15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. This scripture is so packed. Have you met, there are a lot of believers who the only defense they have for the gospel is when they meet an atheist who says, I don't believe in God. Their defense is a fool says in his heart that there is no God. You are a fool. You know that's what they say to these atheists. You are a fool. Because you don't believe that there is God. You are a fool. I don't have much to say to you. One day you will come to the knowledge of the truth. Some other people, their response to somebody who says he's an atheist. You know some people actually don't believe that there's any such person as that atheists don't exist. Because they'll say things like, maybe you claim you're an atheist. Let the plane be crashing. Let's see if you will not shout Jesus. <laughs> But Peter says, always be ready to give a defense. When someone asks you, why are you a Christian? You should be able to say, here's why. Be ready to give a defense. And he says, you do it with gentleness and respect. I have seen a lot of Christians on Twitter lose manners and self-control. You are insulting people. You know, somebody says... I don't believe that there is a God. And your first response is, <laughs> you're a fool now. Why would, you, why would you say something like that? <laughs> you do it with gentleness. You calm down. And explain. And you do it with respect. Don't be too quick. to You know, a lot of people, the knowledge they have is, is pride. Have you seen people who just start commenting on things? Nobody, nobody asked. You just start commenting. Just so you show us that you know it. Respect yourself. Amen. I hope we have enough time to go through today's teaching. So, Peter says, he says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a hope, for a reason for the hope that you have in you. How much of the of your Christianity do you understand? Growing up, and I blame our parents for this one. Growing up, you ask questions about God and about Christ and they think, shh, shh, don't ask, don't ask. It's a sin to ask. Well, Peter says that you should know so that you can defend yourself. Do you get what I'm saying? You ought to know so you get to defend yourself. 
some Christians still believe that they are only Christians because they were born into Christian homes. And when I meet Christians who say that, I'm like, the reason you're talking like this is either you've not been well taught or you're a bad student. Because we should know better than that. We should know that anybody who became a Christian became a Christian because he accepted the gift of God. Not because my parents, every morning, they used to make us do morning devotion. There are people who did morning devotion for eight years, ten years of their lives and still came out not being Christians. Because they were doing the morning devotion because they forced them to do it. Is that true? Uh-huh. But that moment when you have the ability to choose and you choose to believe in the work of Christ, then you are a Christian. Amen. So let's talk about Jesus Christ. Let's start with the virgin birth. Now, you need to understand something. When it comes to the person of Jesus, Open your Bible to John chapter 5, verse 39. John chapter 5, verse 39. Are you there? All right, if you're there, say loud amen. Amen. All right, everybody read John 5, 39. One, two, go. Search the scriptures. You have eternal life, but these are they that testify. Who was, who was speaking? Those of you that have words of Christ in red, is it in red? good so jesus was doing the talking right and he said you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life he was talking to pharisees but he said but these are they that testify of me when he said scriptures was he referring to old testament new testament or combination of both a old testament b new testament c combination of both raise your hand if it's old testament all right raise your hand if it is new testament Raise your hand if it's a combination of both. Raise your hand if you don't know. Uh-uh, okay. He was talking about the Old Testament. When he said, search the scriptures. As at the time he was saying this, there was no New Testament section of the Bible. Right? So, so he was talking about the Old Testament. And he said, when you search the Old Testament, the Pharisees used to think that life in its life, um, life resided within the words of the Old Testament in and of themselves. But he's like, no, 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 you don't get it. The eternal life that exists in the Old Testament is the testimony of Christ. Do you get that? Do you understand that? The eternal life that existed in the Old Testament is the testimony of Christ. So everywhere Christ was testified or prophesied about, that was where there was eternal life. Do you get that? Which means that within the Old Testament, or simply put, the Old Testament was given to testify about about do you understand that? good. So the, the, the logic of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. And anything that is inconsistent with Christ revealed in the New Testament is incorrect in the Old Testament. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So for example, um, a common example I like to use. Um, so Saul had misbehaved and done all of that. He had disobeyed in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And then the Bible says that an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. Is that true? You've read that before, right? Good. Now, it is in the Bible, true or false, but it is incorrect. Why do we know it is incorrect? Well, following the formula we just received from Christ, 
that the Old Testament testifies about him, which means anything in the Old Testament that contradicts the Christ that was revealed in the New is not a correct testimony. Do you follow? So, Christ that we knew casts out evil spirits. He never puts evil spirits inside anybody. Do you get that? Which means, following that pattern, we can then come back and say, the person that wrote that an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul was wrong. Ah, are you saying that the Bible is wrong? No, 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 no. I'm saying the person that wrote it was wrong. (laughs) Do you understand? Good. You need to realize the Bible was written by men. And that's very true. But they were inspired by the Spirit of God. Now, I taught you this during camp meeting. Not everything written was inspired by the Spirit of God. But the things written that were inspired by the Spirit of God are the things we call Scripture. Do you understand? How many of you remember I taught you this during camp meeting? Good. Should I take it again? Should I refresh the teaching? Should I refresh the teaching? All right, good. I taught you the word scripture is actually two words in the original Greek. Why are we using Greek? Because it was written in Greek. Do you understand? So we're going back to transliterate. So the word scripture is two words in the original Greek. Hagios, graphe. And I told you the meaning of the word hagios is holy, right? How many of you remember what I taught you holy means? Holy means set apart, selected for a purpose. Do you understand? Holy does not mean morally right. For example, when God met Moses and said to Moses, take off your shoes. The ground you're standing on is holy ground. Can the ground be morally right? Aha. So holy does not mean morally right. Holy actually means chosen, selected for people. This is why God says you are my chosen generation, a holy nation. Why are they a holy nation? Because they are chosen. Do you follow? Good. Alright, so holy means selected for a purpose, picked and separated for use. So when you say hagiography or holy writings, it means the writings that were selected. Which means not all writings were selected. Is that true? Which means not all writings are scripture. Is that correct? Is that correct? Is that correct? (laughs) Uh, Some of you are thinking too far about this thing. So, for example, um, when when the Bible reports that um, Amnon slept with Tamar, that was not inspired by the Holy Ghost. Do you follow? It wasn't the Holy Ghost that inspired the event. Do you get what I'm saying? When the Bible reports um, that Jonah disobeyed God and ran away, it wasn't the Holy Ghost that inspired Jonah to do it. But if these things were not inspired by God directly, why are they within the pages of the Bible because they give context to the things that are inspired by God. The part of Jonah's story that is actually inspired by God is the forgiveness of Nineveh. It was was an announcement of how God will forgive us in Christ. Do you understand? The forgiveness of Nineveh was the inspiration. But if you just open the book of Jonah and all you have in the book of Jonah is Nineveh was forgiven. It doesn't make any sense. But when you read, there was a city, they were so evil, and then there was a man called Jonah. God sent him to Nineveh. He wanted to run away. God took him back there. And then made him talk to Nineveh and forgave Nineveh. You can now start to understand, oh, God went um, through this long or through this extent to get Nineveh to be forgiven. Do you get what I'm saying? 
I'm explaining all of this to explain to you that within the Bible, you have scripture contained, but not all of the Bible is scripture, especially the Old Testament. Do you get what I'm saying? This is why it's not very good to go and lift doctrine from the Old Testament when it has not been corroborated in the New. I'm doing some really good teaching here, so I hope people understand what I'm saying. Yes. When it has not been corroborated in the New... You know what it means to corroborate? When there's no um, agreement with what is in the New Testament. Amen. So, some people would look at, quote-unquote, the God of the Old Testament... And think that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. Not really. How many of you have genuinely thought that? Is it that God changed? You know how our parents, when they now, when we now have children, our parents will now become soft. They will not be very loving to your own kids. But you remember what they did to you when? Yeah. So is it is that what happened to God that after Israel showed him pepper, he's like, say, I'm tired. He now sent his son to die. No. What happened is that in the Old Testament, a lot of things were not understood. For example, the only time you see anything evil attributed to the devil in the whole Old Testament was one, at the Garden of Eden, and two, in the story of Job. And even in Job's story, it's God that told the devil to go and do it, right? Yeah. So after that, any other time there was a disease, people died, anything happened, earthquake, oh, eh, anything, even if demons appeared, then they would have said it was God that did it. Do you understand? Typical example, First Samuel, is an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. Because they had little understanding of God. Christ revealed the Father. Do you get that? Christ revealed God. Christ came to explain God to us in his life, in his words, and in his actions. He explained God to us. I taught you this a lot during camp meeting. Do you get that? Good. So Christ came and he explained God to us. Why I'm saying all of this is because when you now read John 5.39 when he says, search the scriptures, referring to the Old Testament portion of your Bible, he says, you think in them you have eternal life, but not knowing that these are they that testify of me. Which means, when you search the Old Testament, thinking that the Old Testament is actually scripture, you don't understand that the Old Testament contains the testimony of me, and the testimony of me is scripture that gives you eternal life. Do you follow? Do you follow? Now, I said all that to explain how in the Old Testament, you have prophecies about specific events in Jesus' life. Do you understand? And these prophecies are important. They are important proof of what God did. Listen, you may not rate it much because you are looking at it after the facts. You're looking retrospectively. So you're, you're looking from here backward. But think about the fact that Isaiah lived about 700 years before Jesus was born. And he prophesied that a virgin would give birth to a son. Like, think of how crazy that is. I hope you know that in this age and time, if somebody comes to tell you that a virgin who no man ever had fellowship with will give birth to a son, you will not believe. I hope you know. And then it actually happens that a virgin did give birth to a son. First of all, that is proof of the infallibility of the Bible. Do you get what I'm saying? Because think about it. If you existed in Isaiah's time, you would have laughed the guy to scorn. I mean, man of God, you said a virgin will give birth to a son. 
This is 50 years since you said it. It has not happened. 100 years. The next generation heard that Isaiah said so. It has still not happened. Do you understand that it was 700 years? At, it was 700 years of mocking and calling him a false prophet. And after 700 years, in Bethlehem, as he said, a virgin did give birth to a son. And the Bible is infallible. And this also tells you that Jesus was not an accidental plan. Jesus wasn't plan B. And so everything was not going according to God's plan. And then God is like, all right, um, in Gabriel and Jamaica, do you copy? Switch to plan B. <laughs> Switch to plan B. Let's change formation. <laughs> 700 years before he was prophesied. I mean, even from the Garden of Eden, there was a prophecy where in Genesis 3.15, God speaking to the serpent says, the seed of the woman will bruise your head. Women don't bear seeds, though. I hope you know. It's the man that bears the seed that fertilizes the egg. Biology 101. So when God said the seed of a woman, it was a prophecy about the virgin birth of Jesus. Do you understand? And this was not after maybe after Jonah did everything he did. And then God is like, hmm. or maybe Nebuchadnezzar, after he took over Jerusalem, God is now like, we need to stop this guy. The seed of the woman will come and do it. No. This was immediately after the fall, at the creation of man. Do you get what I'm saying? At the creation of man, there was already an announcement of God's plan put in place. Do you follow? But but just so you know, and because this is a teaching, um, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. How many of you believe that God is so great? Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Are you there? Alright, Isaiah seven fourteen says, Alright then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She would give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now listen. All through Jesus' life and ministry, was he ever called Emmanuel? Eh? Was he ever called Emmanuel? Did you, do you have any record in the New Testament of Jesus being called Emmanuel? So, eh. <laughs> so, Jesus is before the, the trial and then Pontius Pilate is like, Emma, are these accusations about you true? <laughs> he was never called Emmanuel. But Isaiah prophesied that he will be called Emmanuel. What you don't understand is this. What Isaiah was prophesying was that his virgin birth will be proof that God is actually with us. God is in our midst. You see, Emmanuel does not mean God with us as in God and with you. Emmanuel means God in our midst. God as one of us. So, the virgin birth is the first proof of the deity of Christ. Do you understand? The virgin birth is the first proof 
of the deity of Christ. So, number one, how do you know Jesus is God? He was born of a virgin. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Are you there? Father, say loud, amen. All of you that are not there, this just shows me that you don't see with your Bible. John chapter 1, are you there? From verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now, that's important. There are some people who have rewritten their Bibles to eliminate that part of Scripture. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was a God. Have you seen that before? Yes. But he says, the word was God. And he says, he existed in the beginning with God. Proof number two. Jesus was not created. Do you understand? A lot of people will tell you, well, how can somebody that God gave birth to be God? You don't get it. Jesus was never created. He existed in the beginning with God. He has always been one with God. Do you understand? That one with God took on flesh. That's what we call the incarnation. So, First of all, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ was not the creation of Jesus Christ. It's very different. The reason why we think it is is because, well, our creation was at the point where our father and our mother came together to make us. And then they made us and gave birth to us and then we were. But the angel announced to Mary, he said, the power of God will overshadow you and you will conceive and bear a son. So, number two, the virgin birth was not biological. It wasn't sperm from God and egg from Mary. I hope you get that. It was a miracle. The virgin birth was not any different from times when you pray for somebody who didn't have eye sockets and then he now had eye sockets. Do you get that? Or somebody who was lame and then you pray for him and his leg was healed. It wasn't any different. It was a pure miracle. There was no baby in your womb before. And then the Spirit of God came upon you and that baby was there. Amen. Good. So understand that when we call Jesus the Son of God, we don't mean Jesus is the fruit of the relationship between God and Mary. Because some people are very crazy. You hear somebody say, God raped Mary. Have you heard that before? God raped Mary. You you are ignorant and you are arrogant in your ignorance. Amen. John 1 verse 3. He said, God created everything through him. So this word that was with God in the beginning, this word that was God, God created everything through him. And he says, without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. And that light shines in darkness and darkness cannot comprehend it. Now, He goes on to verse 12. Verse 10, actually. He says, He came into the very world he created. That's the virgin birth. Do you see that? So, 
He existed before. Now, let me explain something to you. None of us existed in heaven before our parents gave birth to us. Do you understand that? So you see that lie that you used to believe that you were somewhere in a storeroom in heaven playing games. Then God now apportioned you to this family. Exactly. (laughs) That was not the way it worked. You were not existing till daddy's sperm and mommy's egg met and produced you. Do you get that? But Jesus, he was in heaven all the while. One with God. Same with God. And the Bible says he came into the world. Well, he cannot just appear. So one day he just... In Mary's living room, you are now my mother. (laughs) He couldn't have done that. So he came into the world following due process. He came through the virgin. Do you understand now? So it's proof that he is God. Do you get that? Alright, verse 10. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He says, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the sons of God. They are reborn not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. See that? Look at that. Everyone that believes in Jesus is reborn, not with physical birth that results from human passion or plan. You know, Valentine's Day, you just had a very lovely dinner and everything, and then the Spirit said to thee, fellowship, and you fellowshiped. Amen. This message is rated 18. <laughs> and then you fellowshiped. <laughs> now, listen. He says, all of us that have become sons of God, we are not sons of God according to human passion or plan, but we are sons blessed by God. Do you understand that? So, just like Jesus was blessed by God, when we believe in him, we become blessed by God. Do you understand that now? Look at that. Alright, so verse 14 he says, So the word became human. That is called incarnation. Some translations say the word took on flesh. So the word was abstract. It was a spiritual concept before. Then God wanted to come into this world and he took on flesh. Do you get that? He put it on like a cloth. As opposed to you and me. That they had to create in the womb. He put on flesh. And came into this world. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a concept in theology. In the Latin is vera homo vera dei. It means he was truly God. And truly man. So um, I know you've heard this before. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. Have you heard that before? You've heard it before. That's not very correct. And when you say he was fully God. It means that. He did fully everything he he should have done as God would have done it. But he slept, right? He was hungry, right? He he got angry, right? And they killed him. Do you see? That's not fully God. Because if it was fully God, then Philippians 2. um, Let this man be which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was one with God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, which means he stripped himself of his God-like abilities. Do you understand? So he wasn't fully God, but he was truly God. That is, in nature, 
he was still God. He didn't cease to be God. Although he stripped himself of his godlike godlike abilities, he didn't cease to be God. Do you understand? That's why he could say, my father and I are one. Even though when he said, when you pray, say, our father who is in heaven. So he could say, my father and I are one. And in another place, he would say, well, the things I do, I don't do by myself. It is my father that lives in me that does the work. Why? Well, when he's talking about his father that lives in him, he's referring to the godlike abilities, which is perpetrated by the Holy Ghost. I hope you know. Good. So when he said, my father lives in me, he's the one that's doing the work he was talking about, the Holy Ghost. But when he says, my father and I are one, he's speaking in nature, we agree. Amen. Do you follow? So vera homo, vera dei. He was truly man, truly God. Do you get that? Truly man, Hebrews explains it. He felt everything you feel. Anger, hurt, pain, sadness, sorrow. He felt all of it. Truly man. He was hungry too. Do you understand? He was hungry. I don't understand when, you know there's some people when I tell them I'm hungry. Like man of God used to get hungry. Just pray, you'll be full. I know they're saying it jokingly, but please stop. It's not good. (laughs) Amen. So he was truly God and truly man. So one thing that you must understand about the virgin birth is that it proves the deity of Jesus Christ. Say it after me. The virgin birth, as loud as you can, the virgin birth proves the deity of Jesus Christ. Amen good. So, why do you believe that Jesus is God? Number one, he was born of a virgin. And he's the only one to have been to have done so since that time. Do you get that? Nobody else has ever been born of a virgin except Jesus. Nobody else has ever been born outside of the amalgamation of the male um, sex organ and the female sex organ. Did you get? So that makes Jesus special. It also proves that he is the son of God. He is the son of God. Alright. So we're in verse 14, right? We're in verse 14, right? Alright. Verse 14 says, So the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. And we beheld his glory as unto the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. So we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, Son of God. Well, how did we behold his glory? He became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So the virgin birth was the womb or the gestation period for the only begotten of the father now listen let me let me rephrase that so that you will understand I'll put things in context for you there are two phrases used to refer to Jesus as the son of God in the bible aside from of course son of God you have the only begotten of the father and you have the first begotten of the father how many of you have seen those two before so sometimes you hear him being referred to as the only begotten of the father for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you understand? But you now have him referred to as the firstborn amongst many brethren. The first begotten. Do you understand? 
to whom he did foreknow, he did predestine to be conformed to the firstborn. Do you understand? Do you get that? Good. That's Romans chapter 8. So sometimes he is the only begotten, and other times he's the firstborn. Well, what's the difference? Which one is it? Because if you are an only child, you are not the firstborn. <laughs> Do you get that? You are the only child. You are first and last. <laughs> but when we call you firstborn, it means there are other people. Right? Good. Now, the word only begotten is actually one word in the Greek. So you were right. It is monogenes. M-O-N-O-G-E-N-E-I-S. So M-O-N-O-M-O-O-N-O-O. <laughs> G-E-N-E-I-S M-O-N-O-G-E-N-E-I-S And it means the only of his kind The only of his kind Why is it important to read these things in the Greek? Because it was first written in the Greek Do you understand? Um, It's just like And sometimes it's Easy to translate with error Do you get what I'm saying? Um, Yoruba is one of my is one example I would usually use. I think the word for 20 has different meanings in Yoruba. It's applicable to different words in Yoruba. I think Ogun can mean um, 20. It can mean medicine. It can mean ho. It can mean iron, I think. It has several words. Do you get? So somebody who is not Yoruba, translating Yoruba, will use the one he thinks best fits the translation. Even if that's not exactly what the writer intended. Another example is when um, when Yoruba people want to say reverse, they say it like go back, down, down, something like that. I don't know. But there's a way what you translate is not directly what it means. Um, If I tell you Agbara is like slap on the back, but it's not really slap on the back because it's it's deeper than that. (laughs) Have they slapped? They give you Agbara? (laughs) You know? Good. So that's the same way sometimes the Greek is translated and um, it's not translated in its full. So yes, monogenes means only begotten. But it does not really completely connote what the writer intended. How do you know what the writer intended? When you keep, when you look at the way he used the word over a period of places, you now realize, hmm, this is actually what he was trying to say in its fullness. So when you say um, monogenes or only begotten son, what he is actually trying to say is this is the only one of this type that exists. Do you understand? So when he says the word became flesh, as at that time, Jesus was the only word become flesh anywhere. Do you get that? And he says, and we beheld his glory as unto the only begotten. So what does he mean by we beheld his glory? Well, he did things that somebody who is the only begotten should be the only one to do. For example, he opened blind eyes. But we've never seen that before. Do you see? We never saw him do it before. We've never, we've never even seen any prophets do it before. Not only did he open blind eyes, he healed lame Israelites. This guy must really be the son of God. At another point, he cured a man who was deaf and dumb. And they're like, uh-uh, this must be the son of God. Because you see, prior to Jesus, nobody ever cured a person who was dumb. And nobody ever opened blind eyes prior to Jesus Christ. So when you read John chapter 9, that story that's in John chapter 9, you see the man asking the Pharisees, have you ever seen somebody open blind eyes before? Well, this man did. He must be the son of God. 
So when John said in John 1 that we beheld his glory as of unto the only begotten of the Father, he's saying, we saw him do things that only the only begotten can do. Do you understand? Monogenes. And what made him only begotten? He was word become flesh. Or simply put, he was flesh housing the spirit of God. Do you understand? Do you understand? I explained it to you that when Jesus said, I and my father are one, he was speaking in nature. But when he stripped himself of all, he was talking about how the Holy Ghost lived inside of him. Do you get that? My father is my father that lives in me that doeth the works. He was talking about the Holy Ghost in him doing the works. That's that was, and as at that time, he was the only man that had the Holy Spirit inside of him. You see, because prior to that, every other time you see the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samuel, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, the Spirit of the Lord came upon, but never the Spirit of the Lord within said. Do you get? Because the Holy Spirit was only upon, but not within. But Jesus came, bearing the Holy Ghost within him, as the only begotten of the Father. So when the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it doesn't mean that Jesus is the only son God ever had. No, 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 no. God doesn't have sons in the sense of sons. Do you understand? He didn't have sons in the sense of, oh, he slept with somebody and had a child. No, no, no. When he says he came, God gave his only begotten son, it means God came in flesh and gave himself. Only begotten referring to spirit living within flesh. But... In John chapter 12, Jesus says, except the corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it falls to the ground, it brings forth much. It brings forth much. You and I are that fruit. You know why? Because after he resurrected, we could now receive the Holy Ghost too inside of us. Do you understand? So he ceased to be only begotten and became first begotten. The prototype that we are going to live after. Do you understand that now? So when we say Jesus is the son of God, we are not referring to how he's daddy's boy. No, 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 no. What we mean is Jesus housed the spirit of God. Amen. Do you understand that? Good. Remember, part of the reason why we are doing this series is so you can be confident about what you claim to believe in. Amen. You need to be confident about what you claim to believe in. Somebody was sharing a story of how he went into a shop. He saw these two guys that went to evangelize and they were talking to this guy who was an atheist. And then they brought out their Bible and they said so many things. And the man brought out a dictionary and countered everything they said. And as at the time this person that was telling me the story walked into the shop, they were already saying, you, have, you are making a very good point. Ah, I like how Pastor Tomoa took his charge this morning. A lot of things about the Christian faith won't make sense to you until you put it in the context of the people that wrote it. Both um, literal, that is written context, and cultural context. So some people will say to you, Jesus never called himself God. Well, when Jesus said, I and my father are one, he was calling himself God. You know how we know? Because they picked up stones. And he said, I've done many miracles. For which of these miracles do you want to kill me? And Jesus, and they said, not for the miracles. But because you being a man, you make yourself equal with God. You understand? Aha. Uh-huh. So, how is that for Jesus calling himself God? <laughs> so, you must be able to defend what you believe in. Do you get what I'm saying? Amen.
Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.